The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. You know, one of my favorite parts about listening to your podcast is that I listen to it. I listen to podcasts on like a faster speed than 1x. I listen at like 1.5x. Mm-hmm. And so when you play clips of the songs, they obviously sound very unnatural, uh, <laughs> right? So they're super sped, you know, they're, they're sped up and some songs sound really weird and some songs sound a little bit cooler, mm-hmm. uh, but it always catches me off guard, right? Because we, we have this version in our head of what those songs sound like. And then when you hear a, a, a different version of it, because it's sped up, mm-hmm. it's, it's so uh, jarring or alarming at that time, but like, oh yeah, it's sped up. And a lot of people will just say, it's like, oh, that's the way it sounds with uh, Matt Cameron playing now. Or... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Everything's just faster now. Um, do you get to go to many shows from where you are? Are you like a, a traveling guy? Um, I was more in my youth, I think, as mm-hmm. uh, a lot of us, eh, some yes. of us are, <laughs> were, you know, before, <laughs> yes. before, at least definitely before families. Cause you know, once you start getting money, then it's like, oh, hell yeah. But once you got like families and stuff, it's like, ah, I kind of resent me if I just like pack up my bag and say, see you later. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, it's kind of hard over here just on the West Coast because everything's so spread out anyways. So it's kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. I could go to, you know, right. I can go. Usually the closest shows to me are, you know, Vegas isn't even close. You know, it's an eight hour drive for to drive. So, I mean, technically, quote unquote, that's close. Jeez. But like if they yeah. play Sacramento or the Bay Area, that's the closest to me. It's like a, between a, you know, a four and six hour drive instead. But like. Going to California is the uh, hey going to California hey, is the um, <laughs> is are the closest shows that he can do. But then it's like okay, they'll do you know L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, who knows what else. And so that's only a couple of shows right now on the East Coast. Yeah. Everything's so close yeah. together. It's kind of like oh yeah, I can go to you know five different states, and you know it's not that far. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Anywhere from uh, you know Massachusetts down to D.C. or Virginia is is pretty much fair game for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know it's funny in my um, in my wedding vows with my wife, she ended them by saying, "And I promise to always let you go to Pearl Jam concerts." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, things that's things slow scam. down significantly. <laughs> yeah, she got me good. <laughs> but she's held up to that. We've we've seen a bunch of shows together. We went to Costa Rica together to oh, see cool. them there. We went to. Um, Toronto in 2011 to see them together. But uh, when it comes to the two nights in a row in a city, she, she'll usually pass on one of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's too much. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll find a friend who wants to go. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're going to play different set lists. It's like, oh, roll her <laughs> yeah. eyes. Okay. It's like, you don't know what they're going to play. You have to be there. You can't miss it. <laughs> what if they play that song you've never heard before? <laughs> wow. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, and today we are talking about first single from Yield, Given to Fly, with my guest, Kevin Levine. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning. And uh, let's see. We got we got a lot of stuff to talk about, but, but first, since this is the first time I'm having you on the show, I got to ask you, when did you first hear of Pearl Jam? 
Well, I think I first heard of Pearl Jam um, probably in 91 or 92. My brother, my older brother, had their CDs back when CDs were a thing. Um, so he had 10 and verses. And so I would listen to those a lot uh, with him. I would take them and just, I remember listening to those CDs on repeat as I would sleep um, and just, you know, kind of keep them with me at all times. But I I kept, you know, listening even, even after those couple of albums. I remember hearing Corduroy on the radio and being all excited about that stuff. And so I think I really became my own fan after, you know, surpassing my brother's fandom right around Yield. And Yield was the first album that I bought with my own money um, that, you know, I didn't steal from my brother. So <laughs> Yield is a special album for me for, for that reason as well. Do you, do you remember where you bought it from and, how, and when you bought it and stuff? I actually do. I think it was uh, a Sam Goody record store. Oh, yeah. I remember getting it. And I, I think that's the same place that I also bought the... the um, soldier of love i think it was last kiss and soldier of love is that were those the songs that were released together mm-hmm. yeah so i remember buying that cd there as well i was like wow this is good stuff i was a little naive at the time i guess <laughs> thinking how good last kiss was <laughs> but um yeah so I, I remember buying yield as like the first pearl Jam album that i i got to have on my own i mean i was 14 at the time so um felt good to kind of take that over but then I remember listening to that CD on my CD player, going to, you know, going to school and going to camp or whatever I was doing those summers, just reading the book. And I remember having arguments with my friend about the Red Dot song title, what that Mm -hmm. song title really was. And so uh, some very fond memories that still live with me about about listening to that album and just kind of holding it for the first time. I think it's something that um, sticks out a lot more to to older folk is, you know, buying whatever first album or first CD or something like that. It's something physical. It's something that, you know, there's, there's a muscle memory to possibly or something. And yeah, it's kind of like, ah, you know, maybe remember the first album you like got on LimeWire or Napster or something like that, that you were kind of like had to search for and stuff. But I think like (laughs) nowadays it's like, Oh, the first album I streamed first album I, you know, watched a youtube playlist of or something like that right i think that's something that yeah very anticlimactic yeah <laughs> if, if it's too if it's too available if it's too in the air it's kind of it's easy to take for granted where if it's you know something that's you have to work a little bit for you have to go on a little bit of a journey for it, it's easier to have that melded into your memory yeah absolutely uh, it's funny you talk about streaming on limewire because um in 2003 when i was in college you know they were doing a pretty big tour and I don't mm-hmm. know how those those songs were so readily available. I'm not sure if they were available to download right away or if they were being ripped on CD at the shows. But I remember the, all those concerts, like the next day they were being uploaded online, uh, Kazaa or LimeWire or whatever it was. And so I would download those those albums, those live concerts every time. And after a while, I had probably like 50 or 60 of those concerts downloaded. And I was streaming them back as well, allowing you know sharing them to be downloaded. And I actually got in trouble at college because I was using too much bandwidth. So <laughs> I, I I got in trouble and I got a warning from the Recording Industry Association of America oh, for stream for all the music that I was streaming at that time, mm-hmm. or, you know, that I was sharing. So it was not just the Pearl Jam concerts, but I think that's what raised the alarm is that people were taking so much or downloading so much of those songs from me. So I got a, a nice little slap on the wrist, a little Got in a little trouble at school. Luckily, I didn't get sued for the $1 million per song or whatever it was they were <laughs> attempting with. But um, 
That was fun. So they cut off my internet in the dorm. And so I just got a longer ethernet cord and ran it around, (laughs) ran it around into my friend's room and just, you know, kept going. But I believe that tour, they were putting them out. They were doing like CDs of them pretty soon after. Um, I I remember like I have a bunch of those CDs and they were kind of like, you know, all the Japan uh, sleeves all look the same. All the Canada ones all look the same. All the United States ones all look the same. And then they came with like a sticker of the track list that you, you know, would put on the back or whatever. Yes. And then the tour after that, I believe, is the one where they did it all digital through their own weird company or something like that, that I don't think are available on Nugs or something like that. Some weird thing. It was like a bird face app or something like that. had like a picture of a bird on the app or something like that that you had to get. What was funny was, I guess, uh, recently Google Music moved into YouTube Music. And so... um, you know, my brother pointed out, he's like, hey, make sure you move your stuff over. And I was like, I didn't realize I had music in my Google Music library. At some point, I must have uploaded. But in there, I found, you know, probably another 60 or so concerts, uh, live concerts from Pearl Jam that I didn't even oh, realize yeah. I had. <laughs> and it was all right around the the binaural and the, the 2003 tour where they have, you know, good <laughs> improv tracks and, some, you know, some really good stuff there in those tours. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I guess after... I got into Yield. I think it was really seeing the band live for the first time was what really solidified my my passion for them. And when I decided I would be a roadie with them for, for as much as I could, I, my first concert was uh, 2000. It was the Jones Beach. Uh, they were doing three shows. I only went to the middle one, uh, August 24th. It was the only time I've ever seen Of The Girl, which I wish I could go back and appreciate it more of all the shows I've been to. Um, but it was also, uh, I think that was the night that they did... Uh, it's okay as the tag to daughter, which made it onto the yeah yeah Victorian, yeah rub it uh, in DVD. So <laughs> it's just a, a really cool show to be the first show, and then after that, it was just you know anytime they'd be in the area, I'd go. <laughs> anytime in New York, yeah yeah, sir, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> There's just so many shows so close to each other. How could you not go? Kind of a sore spot for us West Coasters. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this uh, song was the first single to uh, the album Yield. came out uh, January 6th, 1998, I believe. A couple months before the album came out uh, on it, you would find the other songs, Pilot and Leatherman. Uh, the cover of the single has the same-ish picture that uh, you're going to find in your lyric book, where you're going to find the yield symbol kind of just on the chest, a vague triangle shadow shape there. You can't really, you can just kind of guess. It's like, ah, I guess that's a triangle. I guess yeah. that's supposed to be a yield sign. Closest thing to a yield sign. <laughs> yeah. But uh, of course, that's you know black and white, and on the actual single, it's in color, and the clouds are a little different, so they are either uh, different uh, pictures entirely, or they just put in a different sky uh, behind one of the pictures, and then changed it to black and white.
that that uh, statue, by the way, is in Rome, and I don't believe it has a title for it, but I believe the sculptor is Pietro Antonio Martini, uh, just for everybody out there who needs all the facts about all these songs. Uh, first played uh, at the Catalyst Show uh, on November 12th, 97. The show they played is The Honking Seals. That show they also played uh, Wishlist and Do the Evolution for the first time. And uh, on the uh, on the 2000 tour, when I followed them around, uh, my buddy and I, we uh, were going to see the show in San Diego and we uh, didn't really have anywhere to stay. And so we just slept in his car on uh, on the beach. And um, yeah, there were some pretty loud seals there. So I was like, huh, yeah, honking <laughs> seals. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, but anyway, let's see. Is there anything else before we can get into talking about the song? Mike McCready wrote the riff, uh, in the same sort of, uh, snowstorm locked in his house that, uh, Faithful was written. Right. He talks about that in PJ20. Yeah. And, uh, Eddie wrote the lyrics. Let's see. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's get into, to, to breaking it down, I guess, uh, the song. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that really comes to mind when listening to the song is, and I think Mike McCready says it in Single Video Theory, is just how good Ed is at at matching lyrics to the music. And I think this song is like the prime example Mm -hmm. of that, right? Like the words just flow so well with the music, more probably more than any other song that they've written together. Yeah, there's the, the dynamic sort of rise and fall, ebb and flow of it that I believe in Single Video Theory as well as his kind of is that it sounded like waves kind of going up and down and stuff making him think about that uh, as he was written the lyrics for it yeah i think eddie says that the way it was written is like a fable right that it's just lines on a, on a children's book that these short lines are and you you really get that sense where it puts it into perspective as you listen to it again right like here's a line you can imagine mm-hmm. what that picture would be for that page and like you said as the the wave builds and and then crashes and builds again it's just you can kind of really feel the the momentum of the song there's a, a line of of children's books by the same uh, artist, Tim Hopgood, is an artist that uh, has done a lot of um, children's books uh, based on songs, uh, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, What a Wonderful World. There's a couple other ones. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. How interesting. Given a flying could possibly make a good uh, children's book, except for the, uh, you know, the fuckers line. First he stripped. Yeah, and and maybe having a smoke in a tree, maybe that looks a little differently. Well, you know, good night, moon. The guy's smoking a pipe, or and uh, uh, curious George too. There's a lot of smoking and stuff in that. Uh, Babar. It's a different times. Very different times. Can't get away with that anymore, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> although although I, I i believe uh i don't know if it was um slang at the time but smoking trees is a uh is a euphemism for uh the wacky tobacky yeah. left-handed cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I don't know if that was slang back then but i know that uh you know you'd hear it in rap lyrics and stuff like that uh, after that so if he uh if he was thinking that too or not i know live sometimes he'll kind of uh occasionally mime smoking of some sort yeah i feel like that's what he was talking about (laughs) in connection with that i think that the you know the first line 
could have tuned in, tuned in, but he turned out could be a reference to the um, Tim Leary quote, or is it uh, turn on, tune in, drop out, which is a, a drug reference in itself to LSD mm. and sort of uh, getting on drugs, expanding your mind, and then, you know, kind of dropping out of society that they want you to live in, man, and kind of finding your own way. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess I didn't know that, uh, but I associated that line with kind of his rebel or rebelling against kind of his his famous, you know, being famous coming off of Vitology and, you know, some of that pushback and no code, um, just kind of thinking, you know, he could have he could have fallen into all that, but he, he kind of pushed it away. So do you think this is a sort of autobiographical, autobiographical, autobiographical song? You know, I think in some ways it is. Um, when I when you look at the lyric later on, when he says, um, you know, the love he receives is a love that is saved. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of what he, I think he said it in the, um, in the DVD for the Italy tour in 2006, where he said, it's kind of like a, an engine, right? Like the energy from the crowd, like he feeds off of that. And that's kind of what that reminds mm-hmm. me of, right? Like he, he, he receives that love. And then like, he, he kind of holds on to that and, and uses that. So that's, you know, I don't think the whole thing is autobiographical, but the beginning sounds like something that he would say and and then that line at the end kind of mm-hmm. feels that way as well yeah i know that um for the longest time listening to the lyrics it kind of always sounded to me uh and the love that he gives he just gives it away the love he received is the love that has saved him just the love that is saved uh which is at least the lyric in the uh on the website the quote-unquote official lyrics yeah, yeah i think sure. it's just probably the official versions that were uh submitted for publishing and everything like that yeah yeah for sure i think it's also the uh the chorus he's flying whole which just sounds like he's saying ho yeah live it definitely sounds like that and then he does the O part, you know, at the end. So it, it does sound a little bit like that. But, you know, when he says whole and high and wide, it's pretty cool imagery to me just to think about. He's flying and it's it's not just him that it's it's whole and it's like the whole sky. It's high. It's mm-hmm. wide. It's just like that all encompassing view of just it's everything. Right. It's covering the whole sky from from all angles. And so I, I think that's cool, especially in contrast to him saying it's just a spot in the sky. But he's saying it's the whole the whole sky it's high it's wide but just a spot in the sky also and i know that um in the 80s there was the uh the i don't know if it was a tv movie or something like that the boy who could fly that um i remember seeing on tv all the time i've not heard of that yeah it's it's uh, i don't know it's some weird 80s you know after school kind of movie <laughs> <laughs> that I, I think that the uh i don't know it's just the kid who kind of flies and then just kind of like at the end he just kind of like flies away because it's just he can't hold on to the world anymore or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's been, you know, forever since I've seen it. But yeah, I'm going to have to put it on my viewing list. Nah, you might not have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like it's on uh, on HBO Max for everybody who uh, has that and wants to uh, see it. Uh, a whopping six, 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's better than some other movies I like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's got Ben Savage in it or Fred Savage. Yeah, it can't be that bad. I'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the song does sort of fit into the uh, you know, the yield give way 
theme, I think. There's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of nature imagery in it, but then also sort of like, um, I don't know, kind of a letting go of, of the things holding you back, I guess, and, and being true to yourself and stuff, kind of the, uh, it sounds kind of optimistic to me. It could just be kind of like the, the lightness in the, uh, in the music, but it's also just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's one of, I think, Pearl Jam's sort of leaving songs, kind of running away songs that they have a lot of. Yeah, for sure. It's it definitely has a sense of positivity to it, um, which not all their songs do. But I mean, even he says, you know, he um, he got out of there and ran for hundreds of miles, and that could just be escaping a bad situation, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the idea of having the key to the locks on the chains, I, I think that can mean a couple of things. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. maybe even like a religious undertone, which is certainly not probably what he was intending there. But um, you know, he's just trying to help other people. And maybe he got out of a bad situation and he wants to help other people who are in a bad situation also. Well, I know that, um, you know, e- even if you don't necessarily describe to specific religious beliefs and stuff, since it's a subject that a lot of, that a lot of people are familiar with, even people who aren't religious, um, using that sort of imagery and those metaphors a lot of times is sort of like a shorthand that everybody can kind of understand to some point that people use when when writing so it could very well be a a connection for that yeah and then even talking about um you know being stripped and then stabbed i think there's still some religious imagery there too yeah possibly a a connection then to uh to pilot as well yeah yeah maybe that's why they chose that as the uh as the other part of the single too hey yeah and another another uh connection uh lyrically at least to me, uh, Last Exit has a line, uh, look, Ma, watch, watch me crash. And this song, he says, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hey, look at me now. Yeah, I haven't connected those two, but I like that. Yeah, that's 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 why I got this podcast, man, making those connections. <laughs> I got I got the yarn, the yarn up on my wall, my... trying to, you know, exactly, Charlie Day, yeah. trying to figure it all out, trying to figure out the uh, the universal, <laughs> the, uh, oh, crap, what yeah. the hell is the name of that thing? The um the thing that Einstein the 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 something theorem the um theory no, yeah yeah theory but there's like something that is called the universe no what is it fuck Tran- unification theory yes unification unifying theory yeah unifying theory well there must be some secrets in these Pearl Jam songs yeah grand unified theory there we go or unified field theory something like that <laughs> yeah. Well, if Einstein couldn't figure it out, I think you're, I think you're the next best to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I see. I'm only supposed to do. I'm only uh, doing it with Pearl Jam, not with, uh, you know, science and real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. If we could do it with Pearl Jam, then you know, who knows? Maybe somebody listening to yeah. this can, you know, somebody who is a real scientist can be like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I get it now. It's making clear. Oh, I can do it for. I can do it for real now, and and win an actual prize <laughs> and get money and you know. And I'm just yeah. talking about Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah, they'll credit you somewhere. Yeah, yeah, credit. That's what I want. Yeah, you can uh, get all the prize money you want. Just give me credit. <laughs> <laughs> I know when we were emailing before, uh, when we first got in touch, that uh, you said uh, you have a a tattoo related to this song, right? I do, I do. And um, so it's it's my tattoo is on my right calf. It's a... It's a yield sign. It's a pretty big red yield sign. Mm-hmm. And it has the word yield where you would think of the word yield. Uh, but then above that, the red 
bar of the yield sign that goes horizontally. Mm-hmm. I have uh, the lyric in there, he still stands. Oh, okay. And it's in his handwriting, which was um, composed of taking the letters from different song titles in the lyric book, because it's mm-hmm. only his handwriting that is yeah. that is the song title, right? Not the actual lyric. So the li- those letters just happen to be within all the, the lyrics somewhere, uh, the song title somewhere. So I had my tattoo guy kind of stitch those together and trace each of those to write, he still stands. And the tattoo itself is, is not great. Um, <laughs> it's not a great tattoo. They didn't really get to finish uh, because there was so much red tattoo. And the guy said I was bleeding a lot. And so he's like, Ooh. we should probably stop um, here. And he's like, you know, come back for a touch up, which I never did. So there's still some patches that could really use some love. But, you know, I don't know that I'm going to go back at this point from 2009. But the um, the inspiration for that, for wanting to get this tattoo was I had made a decision in 2009 that in 2010, I would attempt to hike the Appalachian Trail, which mm-hmm. is a foot trail that goes from Maine to Georgia or from Georgia to Maine, depending on how you look at it. And so, uh, you know, the way that they talk about, the way that Eddie has talked about this, uh, the idea of yield is yielding to nature, right? You know, he says that in single video theory, or give way to nature. And something that I had learned about when preparing for hiking the Appalachian Trail was this, this idea that the trail doesn't know that you're there, right? The trail doesn't care that you're there. So you're going to have really bad days. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to feel scared. You're going to feel alone. Uh, you're going to get beat up. Um, and so you're just at nature's mercy when you're living on a trail like that. And so I just thought that this this lyric of he still stands always resonated with me, even before the idea of committing to hiking the Appalachian Trail, because I was running, uh, you know, training for marathons at the time. And I just remember that if I give up in the middle of a run, you know, it's 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 no better than having just kept running because I'll, I'll still survive if I no matter how hard I push myself, I'll still stand at the end of the day. I'm not going to die from from running an extra mile or something mm-hmm. like that. And so the idea that he still stands was just very empowering to me and a reminder to just keep going. The ironic part is that I did sprain my ankle while, while hiking the Appalachian <laughs> Trail about only 45 days in, about 650 of the 2,200 miles, and I couldn't stand anymore. And so I had to give up hiking the Appalachian Trail. But uh, the lyric still holds a lot of value to me if he still stands. And I, and I still, you know, use that for inspiration, even well beyond that, that journey. But so, uh, you know, the tattoo, my mom, when she first saw it, she said, why is it so big? And she's not happy <laughs> <laughs> with, with its placement on my calf. And, you know, she made me wear pants instead of shorts for a while uh, after I first got it, whenever I'd see her. But um, you know, it's only ever recognized at Pearl Jam shows. No one else really understands what it means. They think of it more as a running tattoo when, you know, you're out running and you have a yield sign on your leg. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, it's certainly just a Pearl Jam tattoo. No one's ever realized it outside of a Pearl Jam concert or been able to identify what it was. Yeah, even, even you know, if you couldn't stand at the moment, you know, I mean, you kind of got to look back at all your setbacks. And, you know, once you're at the part where you can stand, then after that, you know, you've kind of conquered the past and you've uh you know brought yourself to today where you know it still didn't stop you so even if you couldn't stand at the moment now you do you still stand. exactly you're not always it's not always standing you know <laughs> right <laughs> right um yeah yeah it still it still is inspiring and and helps motivate me in times when i need that little extra push to go do something 
and uh, you know, if I didn't sprain my ankle, I wouldn't have met my wife because after I sprained my ankle, I got a new job and I met my wife there. And so I always tell her if I had stepped one inch to the left or the right, I might not have sprained my ankle, but I did. And so for that, I'm grateful to have met her. Yeah. Hell yeah. And yeah, I think one of the uh, the most memorable live performances is uh, one that a lot of people have seen from Touring Band 2000 DVD, where uh, Kimberly Ray Schaefer is doing signs along to it, doing signing along with it. And uh, they just kind of play and just watch her the whole time just to kind of see what she does. And at the, uh, what was that, in the St. Louis, Missouri show in October yeah. of that year. And she ended it, and she's passed since then in uh, 2015. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it kind of was uh, was talk around Pearl Jam circles. I think around at the, around the time and stuff, and kind of some people remember that, and then other people don't. Yeah, and, and they danced at the end of that song, right? He brings her over, and they they do a little dance to the end mm-hmm. of the song. It's, it's a really you know um, gives you a warm feeling to watch that version. Yeah, and and I think it also reminds, hopefully, reminds people too that you know just you know there are people with hearing impairments who quite literally feel the music you know especially at concerts and stuff like that and you know you can hear the lyrics and kind of you know hear the music and everything like that and that's one way to to get into it but i mean that pearl jam is so ubiquitous and can touch people in so many ways that you know even people who can't hear you know everything in the music or the lyrics and stuff like that they can still get a lot out of these songs and music, other other music in general too but yeah it's it definitely speaks to the power of of their music and um, I wonder how many people are are at those shows that 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 service is for, but um, I'm glad that I'm glad that they're there. And I've always kind of thought, it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's like, well, this podcast, you know, there's people who maybe would like a a transcription of this, but uh, I know I'm not going to listen to this <laughs> <laughs> and transcribe all of my uhs and I thinks and uh, my my stuttering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a listener out there who wants to do it for you, or mm-hmm. you could upload it onto YouTube and let YouTube make a take a stab at doing the captioning for you. Oh, YouTube will uh, straight up rip down my videos for the uh, the 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 clips and stuff, the song clips and stuff. Even though you know it's uh, it's fair use because it's for review purposes, but um, yeah, algorithms don't care. No, they don't. No. They don't. Damn record companies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the only gripe I have about this song, mm-hmm. because I think it's a perfectly crafted song, but my only gripe is how fast they play this song live now. And oh. if you go back and look at the versions that they played in 98 or 2000, the songs are, you know, four minutes, but you go into 2003 or beyond and, you know, they're 30 seconds less. They're cramming the whole song into a much smaller, smaller version. And, and I know that it's, for the energy of the crowd, right? It gets the crowd going, but I think you still achieve, you still achieve that at the the regular pace of the song Mm -hmm. Um, because it's, it's, it's an emotional song. It's like transformative and you get into it, you feel this song. And I just wish they would slow it down a little bit. And I I think they have enough rocking songs that this, this song is a little ballad-esque to me, even though I know it's not really like one of their heavy ballads, but I feel like it's, you know, this journey of, of going along with this person and flying and being there with them and that I, I want to feel that for the full four minutes, not, you know, my three minutes and 30 seconds or, or whatever that is. <laughs> you get your money's worth, damn it. I know it's, it just, it, it feels very different when they speed it up like that versus when you listen to the album speed or the original performances of this song. 
I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a good reason for them doing it. Again, it's it's probably just to get the crowd jumping, and I love that too. But I prefer the the slowed down version of the song for sure. Uh, it, it could possibly have to do with the comparisons made to the Led Zeppelin song "Going to California," which uh, which Robert Plant has oh, said about the song that he calls it "Given to California." <laughs> yes. Spend my days with a woman unkind Smoke my stuff and drink All my wine Made up my mind Make a new start Going to California with an aching In my heart that, uh, you know, kind of at the slower speed, it does have a, a sort of similar feel to it, although it's not, you know, note for note or anything like that. I don't think that it's uh, there's any threat of litigation there because it, you know, would have happened yeah. years ago. But <laughs> yeah. Mike, I, I believe Mike has probably sped it up just because he, you know, has gotten used to playing it and can play it faster, easier, as opposed to when they was first playing the song and everything. Because um, when you hear the... um like the instrumental version on Pearl Jam 20, he plays it, you know, he's playing it fast and there's no other music there. Yes. There's no drums or anything like that. And I think it's kind of like he can play it faster. So it's like, oh yeah, I like playing it fast. Kind of, you know, get to show off a little bit. Kind of, uh, you know, I could do this. For sure. No, I could, I could totally see that. And I think that, you know, even that acoustic version sounds more to me like going to California than the studio version of it, you know, like the band version of it. Mm-hmm. Because you hear those notes more clearly or individually, just like you do on the the, the Led Zeppelin song. Yeah. So I, I, I relate those more together than the album version and going to California. Let's see. Is there is there more stuff about this song that um they think that... uh you got to get out to the masses about what you feel about this song, your connection with it, or that other people can find connections to, or you just think is cool. Yeah, it's going to sound very lame. And I mentioned this to you in my first email, but the opening notes, the opening instrumental of this song, it really, it, it really is a sound clip that like fills the silence in my head. You know, when I'm mm-hmm. not listening or talking or something like that, like I constantly hear this, this, this music being played in my head and it's just one of those reasons that makes this one of my, you know, one of my top three or four favorite songs of theirs. It's just, it just stays with you, right? It's just such like an addictive song to me. And what I love is that as it ends, it almost could be starting again, right? So if you had the song on repeat, it just kind of feels like, again, like that wave just still building and crashing and building and crashing. And so I just love the way that it's, it's crafted like that. And um, I just think it's just such a perfect song as it is. Yeah, it kind of feels like the you know the sun setting on the beach. I know the day's ending, and you kind of hear the do 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 kind of just going on into the night and just fading away forever.
Um, you know, the other interesting thing about the Led Zeppelin uh, comparison is that in 2005, you know, they played Given to Fly, and then the next song Robert Plant came out for, and they played Going to California together. So oh. there's definitely, you know, definitely an acknowledgement by the band there and an admission that there's that that heavy influence from that song. But uh, it was that House of Blues show, House of Blues show in 2005, where they played those songs back to back, and then a few other songs with Robert Plant. But you know, it's just a clear nod. You know, it was interesting at one of the Fenway shows in 2018. Ed gets really emotional at some point, and he's talking about how he's just he's just a guy, and he's like, I, I have problems too, right? Like trying to fix, uh, I don't know what he's talking about, trying to fix like a, a washer machine in his house or something. But he just got so emotional just talking about just being like a regular mm-hmm. guy. It's like, you know, sometimes you forget that you're watching them on stage yeah you know sometimes you're you're looking at something it's like it's plugged in i I know it's it's turned on why isn't this working (laughs) and you kind of have to break down a little bit you know it is uh, (laughs) emotional sometimes when it's just like oh fucking technology come on yeah yeah sometimes you just feel so helpless like what else am i supposed to do Uh, one other thing, uh, lyrically that I kind of, um, thought about this is, um, I don't think it was back in the day that there was, uh, this much around, but kind of, uh, nowadays you can feel that the, uh, the faceless men are all the, uh, a lot of, uh, internet randos you can get on, uh, social media or whatever message boards or Facebook and stuff like that. Kind of, you just think they they can, uh, I don't know, be trolls or whatever. Which, you know, I don't like that word. I just like uh, calling them being assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just like, harsh, harsh yeah. critics who sit behind their computers to make their make their claims about everyone else. Yeah. I want somebody to feel bad just so that um, I can feel something. I don't know. Just, right. Yeah, why not try to, you know, spread kindness, spread peace out there, man? Yeah. Give that love away. Well, let me just wrap that up. It's like, oh, yeah. Try to... Uh, Try to share the light. Uh, oh, hey, by the way, uh, let's wrap this up, and uh, I'll ask you what's something you think that people should do instead of be an asshole on the internet that can uh, try to spread kindness and uh, share the light. All right, so I have I have something very fitting for that question, and I'm going to quote um, the author. I'm not going to quote. I'm going to paraphrase the author, Brene Brown. I'm not sure if you're familiar with mm-hmm. her, but uh, she has a book called Rising Strong, and she has some some interesting looks uh, perspective at things. And one of the things she talks about is assuming people are trying or doing their best, right? So even we may think they're doing something intentionally bad to annoy us or they're being a bad person, uh, assume people are, are trying their best or are doing their best and you'll, you'll feel a little less bitter about it. And she also, she says, what is the most generous assumption you can make about someone's intentions or what they said? And again, it's just kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of just assuming they're being assholes or being, you know, yeah, yeah. trolls or critics or whatever it is. Just just try and give them the most gener- you know, give the most generous assumption about what they could have meant or intended. Um, and, and maybe you won't feel so bad or angry after that interaction. <laughs> it might be hard to swallow that one, but um, I, I find that it helps sometimes to just assume people are doing their best instead of assuming they're just out to do something terrible for me. Yeah, I mean, most most everybody isn't thinking about how to get you. They're right. thinking about themselves, and they're not paying any attention to you at all. So it's kind of like, oh, this guy did this to me. It's like, no, they just did it, and it affected you in this way. They're, you know, just trying to get by like everybody else. Exactly. Which is, uh, and I'll totally edit this part out, <laughs> but it's, it's, a very, it's a very white person <laughs> way to think about 
things. Uh, oh, man, when you're kind of looking at the world, it's like, oh yeah, white supremacy, the police, oh yeah, trying to get rid of other people's rights, and uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, they're just trying their best. Yeah, they're not trying to trying to fuck you, but no, okay, I know. yeah, that's totally not what I meant. <laughs> 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 that's more systems than people. Yeah. No, I actually think, yeah, yeah. I assume the worst of those people, actually, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should re-say it and just say, other than the police and the government, assume <laughs> yeah, there people we go. are trying to Okay, that's better. That's... <laughs> that hell, yeah, it's been a fucking week. <laughs> oh, man, I, it's, it's so sad, and it's just never-ending. And, um, you know, it's like, when does it get better? When does this end? Right, what is it going to take for this? Yeah, yeah. These systemic problems to end. Oh yeah. Oh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta stand. We gotta prove to everybody that they're not gonna, they're not gonna take us down. Yeah. We gotta rise up. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Let's end like that. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Good having you on, Kevin. And uh, yeah, I'll let you know when I'm doing some more songs, so you can come back if you'd like, and we'll dish some Thank more. Thank you. And- geek out about pearl jam yeah absolutely you uh if you need a guest you let me know i'm happy to i'm happy to spend some time with you the better man podcast is produced by listenuprino.com and brandon palomo and published using a creative commons attribution share alike 4.0 license please visit creativecommons.org or email listenuprino at gmail.com for more details all music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at betterbandpod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you'd like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com, or send any insights and stories you'd like to share, and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Kevin, and as always, this is Brandon saying, Lisa, if the Bible has taught us nothing else, and it hasn't, it's that girls should stick to girls' sports, such as hot oil wrestling, foxy boxing, and such and such. Such and such.